Welcome to the Gorilla Pastors Podcast. I'm Josiah. On today's episode, my co-hosts and I do two things. The first being simply responding to the interview of Kevin Nye. If you haven't listened to it yet, you might want to do so, as much of our responses will make no sense unless you've heard his story. But the other thing you'll hear us discuss in this episode is the shift taking place and our understanding of what the gospel is and what it looks like for it to be embodied. So join us as we discuss with one another our thoughts on Kevin Nye and how he helps us better understand this ministerial shift concerning the gospel. Man, I really appreciated the interview with Kevin Nye for on, on a host of reasons. The first of which is my story parallels his in so many different ways. He and I both work and he continues to work. I used to work in homeless advocacy in an urban setting uh, within the walls of or, or the support of the local church. Um, I even carried a title for a while as the pastor of social justice or the pastor of justice. Um, and and then even some of his anecdotes about um, working with and advocating for homeless people, actual names and stories and families came to mind from my past. And so Kevin's convictions have flesh on them for me. And so uh, so for, for us to interview him and then share that with the world in a way I felt like was sharing part of my story again with the world. So on that level, I celebrate the fact that we had him as a guest and he was gracious to come on. And another way I celebrate his the work that he does, and that's because homelessness sucks. Like, like you could diagnose it in a 50 different ways, but the reality is to be without home, not just shelter, but to be without home, the stability, the security, the support, the familial layers that come with homeness and, and home, to be without that is to live a type of death. So I appreciate the work that he does. But then there's this other piece, kind of like circling around the celebration that we had Kevin, that we could uh, share with the world, his book and some of his piercing insights and criticisms. Let's be fair. Um, there was this thing circling around it and it was kind of, it was like a, like a subtle grief actually. And, and here's what it is. Cause I don't want to just say that and then leave it. The grief was there's a part in his story where he's pursuing ordination in the local church to become a pastor in the church of the Nazarene, which we call eldership or elders. And he, he he gets to a, a critical fork in the road, and I don't want to point blame at any one particular party or individual or district or anything like that, but I do want to say there was a fork in the road, and one way was to be ordained, and the other was not. And the thing that circled around the celebration as I was sort of like internally pumping my fist with everything that he was saying was a grief that there was a fork in the road. And he went one way and not that he made a hard decision that was consistent with convictions because I support that. But the, that there is such a thing as a fork in the road in the local church, people that advocate for the gospel of Jesus and pronounce a thing called the kingdom of heaven and try to walk in the way and embody a way like the original radical Jesus the Christ. The fact that we create these forks where somebody like their heart beats for the broken, heart beats for the homeless, the heart beats for the destitute and the widows, and that they would have to choose, break, it breaks my heart. And, and on both sides, for both Kevin, but also for the good of the work of the body of Christ, to be able to hold space, to continue to explore and learn where our blind spots are, 
If there was ever someone that could help us see that, it would be someone like Kevin. How do we, so the question that I carried in that kind of subtle grief was, how can the local church continue to hold the tense kinds of conversations, the hard conversations and explorations of the future of good ministry, effective ministry, justice ministry, without saying, hey, you're on the team or you're off. You got to choose right now because this doesn't, your convictions are either too radical, too severe, or too conflicting with where we are right now. That's, That's hogwash. So I grieve the fact that we can't hold that tension. I mean, to be totally transparent, I grieve that he's not still kind of like in the working, you know, arm in arm with us doing the good work of subversion, but, but, but that we can't hold that tension moving forward and mutually explore those hard places and those blind spots in our convictions. So. Yeah, I felt a similar way. It was, it was this uh, continued thought being unpacked of why diverse praxis might be such a useful thing for the church Catholic, right? Like the church overall, not just the Nazarene church, but for a local church, for the church Catholic. Uh, and it, and it was echoing some of what we heard from Paul's story and even Emily's or Eric Paul's story and Emily's story as well. Uh, but there are, there are going to be some, some conversations that need to take place, but they don't currently have space right whether it's even in the building or in the programs with like what emily was talking about she she said her ministry was found space and that's where the gospel is embodied in in those conversations were taking place out of a sanctuary potentially out of a church building but then uh eric's you know his was rooted deeply in in keeping relationship maintaining peace and conflict resolution essentially and to actually resolve conflict there has to be tension you can't avoid some of the taboo things which are you know the things that he was talking about in his ordinate in his ordination interview he was being asked some of those harder you know questions that have everything to do with stances within a polity structure uh, but you know reflecting back in eric's story the the difficult road is reconciliation through conflict right and and not necessarily ultimately hoping to create forks but to to maintain relationship and as a result reading between the lines in eric's story everyone was better for it right everyone had a had a had a more nuanced more robust understanding of just whatever it was the situation the relationship the circumstances at play but ultimately i think back to your initial reflections the church would be better for for um the neighborhood, right? If we're talking about guerrilla ministry being subversive presence within neighborhood, the church would have a better presence in neighborhood if pastors like Eric were kept, right? If if that could if there could be space, if more churches were willing to be outside of sort of the traditional box and say, Oh yeah, we have a pastor of justice and they do this, and the neighborhood cares about that deeply because this is a neighborhood thing and we're in the neighborhood together. Otherwise it it becomes a little tone death occasionally where it just might be a, please don't sleep on our front steps. Don't sleep on the front steps of the church, right? Like that's the, that's the neighborhood approach to homelessness with some churches. But yeah, I don't know. Those are just some initial undeveloped thoughts, especially in response to what you were saying about, you know, seeing his own story mirrored in yours, but also just the bigger picture of what this season of our podcast is about that diverse praxis is ultimately something that, that we are convicted. We don't, think we have all the answers of where this goes or why we don't have it all laid out, but diverse praxis is 
is only going to be helpful in the in the future of living out you know this kingdom of earth kingdom kingdom of heaven on earth uh mission so what did you think about a word law yeah i think a lot of the same similarities and nuances of what you both said i think there was a mourning um for both sides i think when 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 fear-based leadership creates forks it's not good for anyone it's not good for the individual that has to walk away from their community um because uh many times and i'm not saying this directly about kevin because i don't know his personal journey beyond that uh, and uh don't know him personally myself so uh but i i think over and over i see people who even their own journey's growth t- uh many times become stagnant um because they leave the voice of that community um even if it is diverse um uh, but they they miss that in their continued growth. But the institution, in this case, the Church of the Nazarene, uh, it's only weaker for continuing um, in fear-based ministry or fear-based leadership to to continue to say you you have to align with things that we don't even hold as pillars uh, to to say you're in or out, and it's really just fear. Um, it's fear of leadership being propped up in the media um, and and conflict becoming public uh, when uh, it it we think it's keeping it safe but if we just continue to try to isolate ourselves and protect ourselves from conflict rather than learning how to deal with conflict well and with wisdom and with humility and with a sense of continued learning then we will it it will it only leads to death. I, I fully believe that institutionally. And we've talked about it over and over on this podcast, how, uh, you know, there are seasons and things like that. Man, when fear-based leadership continues, um, then I think, it, and we continue to create forks rather than embracing some kind of diversity of, of just thought. Much, we're not even talking about diversity of behavior. We're talking about diversity of just thought. And people get so scared that they they want to they're going to create the fork and say you're in you have to go one way or the other, just absolutely ludicrous. Lacks any kind of wisdom, humility, any sense of cognitive thought, um, growth, and desire for that. Uh, and it is is antithetical to the gospel, if you ask me. So, uh, yeah, that's that's good. I. You know, speaking of diverse thought, I I appreciate given the the general topic that in in this uh, quarter that we're addressing, which is when did old concepts of the gospel break down, and what's your new understanding of the gospel, and and how does that play out in praxis, practice? Um, Kevin shared in a sentence. Um, I'm I'm putting in a sentence. Um, shared that his understanding of the gospel is human flourishing. Okay, and and you could take that a, a bunch of different ways, but but you can't not take it in this way. Well-being matters, right? Like when you talk about the gospel, concrete human flesh, like real bodies, real families, real bank accounts, like you know what I mean, like access to real resources. This matters, matters in a way that's that's not. 
that's that's not only theological or only kind of you know you know a secular if you will it is it's yes it's all all of those things that matters because the gospel you know incorporates all of human existence and so you know if nothing else you know kevin reminds us that at the end of the day we have we do have metrics at work here um, to tell us if we're succeeding in the kind of ministries that uh, we enact in our neighborhoods. And one of those measurements is, do the people within the reach, within the you know the stretch of your influence, the footprint, if you will, of your ministry, and I don't care if that's you and another person that have created a tiny little one block kind of service agency, or if it's a, a, a large church that has a footprint the size of a county, doesn't matter to me, but we do have a measurement and it's this. When we talk about the gospel, our work of the gospel, are the people that we touch measurably more well than if than when we weren't, or if we or if we weren't? In other words, is the flourishing, the predicaments, or excuse me, the the predictors of flourishing, um, are they higher? Or lower than when than than when you engaged and participated and socialized in their midst, right? That is like that's a dangerous enterprise to use that metric because, and I think Kevin's story tells you the because, but because in the end, a lot of the times the answer is going to be decisively no. It we actually don't have a positive influence on people's well being. And, and so I want to just like hold that out there, right? Like in a way of honoring the interview, in a way of honoring the, the subject matter, which is what is the gospel for someone that lives and breathes uh, homeless advocacy? Like what are, are, are we seeking human flourishing of our neighborhoods, flourishing of individuals that we have the names and stories and faces and families, you know, um, in our, as neighbors, that's, that's a challenge. I mean, that's a massive challenge. I'm, I'm reminded of, well, two things. One of them, I would love to hear some reaction response to you. The first one though is the early church. You know, they were known for a couple of things. One of the really big things they were known for was when they gathered, they would celebrate the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, communion. Um, but as you read it, as you read what happens, what takes place, especially you know in the Book of Acts and you know throughout the New Testament, there's there's an incredibly strong emphasis that Eucharist, communion, the Lord's Supper was both spiritually nourishing and physically nourishing. That there is actually a strong emphasis to make sure that this meal actually holistically, bodily fed hungry bodies. And, you know, you could say spiritually fed hungry souls as well. But that was, was pretty central to the legacy Jesus leaves, uh, the, the mission of the church, if you will. And, and I just can't, you know, it's some of this, I, can, I don't want to speak for Kevin. That's some of what I take away from why is the gospel just, right? That's part of what I take away from that. And I, I get it. There's, there's a lot of conversations about government and about personal choice and about urbanization and rural. And you can just, you can get lost in a lot of just logistical conversations about this, but just at a very simple level. I just can't shake that piece of the gospel, right? Like, like it, it is life-giving. It is life-giving uh, both to, to a soul, but also to a body. That's, that's what we see throughout the gospels, you know, the actual four gospels and the New Testament. 
My second though, my second thought kind of in response to this interview, but also what both of y'all are saying is, I don't remember how long ago it was, but it was pretty common on social media or just in church circles to ask a very open-ended question. And I feel like it would be appropriate for us to maybe address this as this is our, I think this is our last round table about gospel. Um, and this is all based on lots of reading of scripture and what Jesus says. But at the end of the day, the, the, the kind of general question that was being asked then that I would like to pose to you now is, is the gospel good news for all people? And if so, what does that actually look like? Because that's what we see a lot in scripture is this conversation that gospel is good news. But it's not just good news for a select group. It's good news for all people. Uh, and so just to couch that maybe as our, as our final, I don't know, our final thought exercise as we're going to shift gears and talk about a different topic in the next quarter, I just want to put it out to y'all. I don't know if y'all remember that being talked about often in, in a lot of spaces um, and know kind of why people were asking that. I don't know if that really matters, but that's something I've had in the back of my mind through all these interviews, through all these conversations. I was wondering what your takes were on it as well. Brian, you got some thoughts? I'll have a go at it. I think it's a so complex. Um, and so it's try to talk about it. I think in my mind, as I've been mulling over it the last uh, six weeks or so since we've been discussing it and listening to the podcast and reading some other books. So I will say that uh, I, I think there's, there's two pieces for it to me, to me. I think on one level, uh, because when we talked about it in light of the, the statement by Jen Hatmaker, I, 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 I made it personal uh, realizing that basically I sit on the same stool as the uh, single mother in Haiti um, it, when, when we really tear it down. So, um, but, but then what? <laughs> okay. So we sit on the same stool, but then what? And so there's, there's two pieces. It's very personal at one point is what I'm saying. And I think it, it has to do with my own uh, growth towards uh, living a life with some sense of hope um, with holding tensions, with some sense, some sense of wisdom, meaning um, I don't know, I don't have to jump, to, I don't have to be forced to one side or the other of tensions, um, but to try to hold tensions. Uh, I, I think the gospel teaches me all that. It teaches me uh, the, uh, the importance of community and diverse uh, voices within the community um, and aspects of life. and. And, and and we could go on and on and on and all these things that I believe the gospel teaches us, not only through life of Christ, but the stories of scripture, um, and not necessarily as definitive stories, but stories that speak to a, a deeper wisdom that then affects me, how I live my life here and now in relationship uh, with myself, others, family members, community, and neighborhood. Um, so that's one side. The other side is this piece in which it gives me a hope because it because my life is such a small blip of a larger thing you know it, it you know my 80 years is is so small <laughs> and and it's part of a continuing story that go long and a part of a larger galaxy that i believe the gospel speaks into a god that creates 
um, that that creates, that restores, um, that gives hope and meaning and purpose to the individual, and yet writes that individual into a uh, a story of galaxies. Um, and so it's actually very hopeful for me that my life means nothing. <laughs> Um, and I know that, <laughs> and I, so I think I'll just stop there. Um, I'll let, yeah, maybe that hits someone, someone up a, a, a different way, but that's, that, uh, that's where it, it is for me. Hmm. What about you, Fasani? <laughs> I really like that. Actually. I like that because it's so counterintuitive that it like causes you to pause, you know? Like what's what's the meaning of life when it's meaningless or something like that? Like or or it, like when you add when you add like healthy dose of perspective. Anyhow, it, but it, what it does it, is it tethers Brian. It, what it does for me, me personally is it tethers me to some of the uh, uh, kind of under subtext of the last three guests, which is a the gospel is not a like this is not. Uh, the totality of the gospel is definitely not this sort of uh, message that we inherited as a personalized belief system, right? Like that it, that's one thing that it reminds me of. And all three of our guests have named that in different ways. Um, the other thing that it reminds me of, and this is maybe just sort of the curiosity of my own brain, is that if the gospel doesn't have a vision for something bigger than the limitations of your own imagination, right? Like, so some of us can imagine, oh, what would it look like for, I don't know, to end homelessness in our eight square blocks or our county or to solve, you know, violent crime in our state or something. Like everyone's got their, like the finitude of their imagination. And when you make it about cosmos, which by the way is very biblically grounded from the beginning all the way to the end. When you make it about cosmos, you realize that within my own capacity to imagine what the gospel is, it's already inherently limited to the work that the redemptive work that God is up to. Like we're talking about a God that deals with stars here and the single mother in Haiti. Don't get me wrong, right? That deals, but but deals with the expansiveness and the possibility of intergalactic flourishing. Now that sounds hokey or if you pause and don't cast judgment like a jerk <laughs> that 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 cause that puts your ego in check like oh my gosh like i need i can only have a posture of humility in the face of the of the breadth of this gospel reach of flourishing and ability to hold tension and see conflict to through to reconciliation and you know and so on and so forth and so that that actually is where, where it it causes me um, to go. So I appreciate that. The, the other thing I wanted to add, and specifically in response to Josiah's question about um, the gospel is, and I don't know if we've said this, each of our guests have said it in their own way, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it um, and turn like preacher for like 30 seconds. Like any, any understanding of the gospel, if it's not grounded in the same imaginative like clay that Jesus molded his vision of the gospel, then then it's something that we've entirely imposed onto, onto the reading of the gospels. And that is Jesus draws from his very first sermon to his last utterance before captivity and crucifixion. And then even again in his resurrection, the gospel vision is one grounded in the prophets of uh, uh, the Hebrew prophets. And their vision is is of shalom, right? And 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 that is not 
of all people. That's of all things, right? Like there's a mutuality and a synergy and a symbiotic kind of flourishing of all things. It's an ecological, a cosmic and ecological vision of of beauty and balance and sustainability. And this isn't me like waving my hippie flag here. Like this is me drawing on ancient wisdom. Like if there's people falling through the cracks, if there's resources that are being depleted, if there's negligence to address even the slightest, tiniest marginalized thing, like you have allowed your gospel to be an atrophied concept of what Jesus was was bringing when he talked about the kingdom. Right. So, yes, it, ha- it does have to do with soul and body. And yes, it does have to do with all people. But like, let us not even pretend like it also doesn't have to do with all things. Right. And 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 only under that, like almost terrifying kind of vision, ought we begin to ask the questions about, OK, so what's our role within that? Like, what what is our role genuinely within a cosmic vision of flourishing? Like, that's just not even anything I ever heard growing up. And that's about, that's honestly about as biblical as you can get. Like, I could literally te- point to a 800 texts that would support that from the Genesis all the way through Revelation. So, you know, and I, I appreciate Emily for like her piercingly like uh, personable way saying that happens extemporaneously in an impromptu way in places that are unexpected when we have sp- when we offer hospitality for others. Yeah, that's included. That happens with Eric, right? When we say, listen, the gospel grieves when people bleed. And the gospel necessarily must hold tension and, and be skilled in a way that can see conflict through to resolution. And and for and for Kevin and his like in his barbed criticism of our inability to see that people living on the streets is a real heavenly problem on this earth, like as a real, you know, issue of, of theological conviction, like, like, yeah, like that is, that is a, um, that's a, what's the word I'm looking for? That's an indictment of our lack of imagination and, and, and our, and our kind of like, um, anemic sense of the gospel. And we need to like own that moving forward. But at the beginning of the season, fellas, we, we made mention of being tour guides, kind of pointing out things along the way that we don't try to own truth. We don't try to pretend that we, you know, are caretakers of, of it, but that, you know, God is truth. God's at work, you know, in all things at all times and all people. And we're just trying to point that out. That's sort of our posturing for season two. But we've also named that there is a shift taking place. And you heard it in all three stories um, about what was an initial understanding of gospel as opposed to the current understanding of the gospel, but kind of big picture, how, how are we seeing that shift play out in the life of the church or maybe just in the life of faith communities and the life of people around you? Or what's a final thought you have about how the gospel being embodied or being understood is shifting in pretty big ways? There's two gospel shifts uh, that I'll, I'll pin on, I'll pin down. I mean, there's a host, but there's two that I can pin now, given our conversations for the last few months. One is theological and one is pragmatic. The theological one is this. The gospel must include a spirituality of tension. Like, it must include, it must affirm, 
The good news affirms the a journey towards uh, uh, towards a kingdom that necessarily holds space for exploration, dissension, uh, divergence, um, conflict, dialogue. Right, the hard work that we're all familiar with that that's that nourishes a new future, the emergence of a new future. Like it has to be written in to our very theological convictions about what the extent of that vi gospel vision is, right? As soon as we remove it, then we be then it becomes kind of a narrow vision of a utopian kind of like fallacy. It has to be a spirituality that makes room for conflict and tension. The, on a more pragmatic level, the gospel um, will be displayed in the willful learning of new skills right? because where there's tension there's also a skill set that helps us see through that tension to a new future so take for eric paul example there are skills of hosting the type of dialogical kind of spaces the the conversations that help us be heard and find commonality and, and new futures right and rec and re reconciled and hopeful futures. There is a skill set there. There's a whole field of conflict resolution that like has developing skill sets. God's people or people that consider themselves, you know, followers of Jesus will will be the first to line up and say we want to learn these skills, right? In my own world, that would be a skill of learning, you know, soil science and what it's like, you know, to steward land and to harvest of its bounty. That is a skill set that the people of gospel will learn and embody. But so those are two for me. What do you think, Wardlaw? Yeah, I think I'm still, I think still chewing on it a little bit. I, I will uh, be honest because I, 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 I'm weary. I'm weary of naming it, um, and maybe I say yet, yet, uh, but. Um, and the only reason is I think I think we we are a bit reactionary um, to the to how the gospel hits now. Like my my question would be like when the gospel intersects with the culture, um, does it intersect in different ways because of big cultural movements? We think it's so theologically driven and so you know, right belief, and we got to push these tenets. But I think when you look at church history, those tenets, the importance of different tenets seem to be shifting as there seem to be some big cultural shifts. And maybe that's too much of my sociology background, but I don't, I'm not sure. So is it, is gospel driving? Is it reactionary? Is it somewhere in between? Uh, I, I don't know. I like. One of, I mean, our discussion off the recording today between does gospel lean towards a utopia or does gospel lean into the tensions of this polarizing? And so, if if culturally, especially in the north in North America and more specifically the United States, but I was almost say most of the Western world, if culturally it's very, we're in a very polarizing time. Then does the gospel lean into this exactly what you're saying, Ryan? This ability to hold tension and and 
but then there will there be another time in which we need to be a prophetic voice, right? Uh, don't know. And so I, oh, my my heart hurts for a little. My it's it feels heavy talking about that because there's a part of me that I'm like, um, I don't I don't know. And then that's when I have to sit sit back and remember that I'm part of a uh, Ryan. I liked your term better, but. I'm part of a story of many galaxies, you know, and, but you had a, a better term, but a galactic, what did you say? Man, what did you say? Galactical something. Cosmos. Cosmos. Yeah. Uh, but there's that it's okay. Um, not because my life doesn't matter, but because this is part of a larger story that goes way, way beyond me. And I believe that God is real and is present and is interactive, but it's not because of me. Um, and yet there may be times in which my heart needs to be open on a personal level to be used and to be part of that. That's, that's good. Josiah, I'm going to put, I'm going to put it back to you, but with my, in my own language. All right. For three months, we've been interviewing, discussing, brainstorming, wrestling with new understandings of the gospel or the shift to a new understanding of the gospel. Can you sum it up succinctly? What, what a, new understanding of the gospel might look like given all that we've learned and wrestled with. Yeah. I would focus it in on the praxis side of things. I think a new understanding of what the gospel looks like is seen in how it's embodied, how good news is lived out through, through faithful living and leaning into a kingdom ethic. And so I would just name it, uh, you know, we might, we might soon have ministers of found space. We might soon have ministers of conflict. We might soon have ministers of human flourishing, because those are convictions that come from this tension that we're talking about. Those are things that are 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 seen in neighborhoods because neighborhood focus and presence are are significant and important. And it is, I mean, to 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 Wardlaw's point, some of that is reactionary, but I think it's in reaction to not paying attention, right? And so some of that could be culturally driven, which I, I mean. I don't know, maybe that's potato, potato sometimes, but other times maybe it's not, right? Like the, there's some discernment that needs to come along with that. But not to get lost in the theological, because I feel like y'all handled that well. I'm just, that's, that, that's it for me. The praxis of folks are taking steps uh, that are based on convictions, born of living in the church, being trained to take over the church, being theologically educated. And as a result, some stay within it, some leave it, but their focus, their conviction is on a ministry that, that potentially would not exist had they not taken all of this to heart and, and faithfully pursued a calling that, gosh, it just, the positions, the ministries that they're trying to embody didn't exist before them necessarily. I mean, maybe they did in some, in some small way, maybe someone else in the world did something similar, but not, not as a prepackaged uh you know offering that you would hear at a seminary of these are the different pastoral positions you can take once you graduate so for me it, yeah it's just a focus on these people are doing ministry that that in a way makes them trailblazers cuz something like this is relatively relatively groundbreaking in in it being the the total focus of their ministry uh as guerrilla pastors doing subversive ministry founded on neighborhood presence. That's my answer. All right. 
A couple reminders as we wrap up today's episode. We just ended our first quarter of season two of this podcast. As you may be aware at this point, the topic of conversation was our understanding of the gospel. The next conversation we have starting next month will be revolving around the subject of discipleship. Much like our previous episode and interview formats, we will start with our initial understanding of what this term means, followed by how it is faithfully embodied in ministry today. Each month, we will bring a new story of yet another guerrilla pastor who is faithfully doing ministry in a subversive way. In doing so, we hope to function as tour guides, simply pointing out where God is already at work. Be sure to stay tuned. Also, if you would be so kind, we would ask that you would rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, we thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I'm Josiah, and this has been the Gorilla Pastors Podcast.